Welcome back to the program. Even looking at the broad sweep and scope of history and change in the 20th century, it's arguable that the dynamics of Israel, its relationship to its neighbors, and the meaning of the Zionist project remain one of the most vexing and truly complex issues of our time. For events that began at the beginning of the 19th century, clearly and directly linked to issues being talked about and dealt with each and every day in Tel Aviv, Tehran, and Washington. But how did it all get this way? How did the desire for a homeland, a base for the Jewish diaspora, become so complex and lead to a statistically improbable number of foreign policy mistakes on all sides? And finally, can this huge ship carrying the burdens of this history be turned around in time to avert crashing onto the rocks ahead? My guest, longtime Israeli journalist and columnist Ari Shavit, has written what has been called the least tendentious book about Israel, an undoctrinaire examination of Israel's past, present, and future, something perhaps we've all needed for quite some time in the ongoing debate about Israel. Ari Shavit is a leading columnist for Haaretz, and it is my pleasure to welcome him here to talk about his new book, My Promised Land, The Triumph and Tragedy of Israel. Ari, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure and honor to be with you. It's great to have you here. One of the things that you talk about in, in a broad sense is that the narrative of the founding of Israel, the Zionist narrative, the reason for being of Israel, has been lost in so much of the debate and so much of the minutiae of so many issues today. Talk about that first, Ari. Absolutely. You are, you hit it right on the nail. I, I, I really, my, my claim, and I think one of the basic reasons I wrote this book, is that there is so much talk about Israel, there's so much debate about Israel, uh, there's so much polemics regarding Israel, uh, and, and there's coverage people deal with the day-to-day issues, uh, and the friction, the tension, the war, the violence. Uh, but I think that with all this, with all this commotion going on, we've all uh, lost touch with the greater picture. Uh, this applies both to Israelis and to many in this country and elsewhere who deal with Israel, whether they love Israel or whether they hate her. And I think that what I've tried to do in my book is really to bring that narrative back. Because at the end of the day, what you do have uh, there in the unique nation that I was uh, lucky to be born into is really a unique human phenomenon. And what my book tries to do is to bring back the human element, the human story, to bring it back from the cliches, from the political dogmas, from the venom of polemics and politics. And I think at the heart of that story is really the remarkable story of a people that faced extinction, no, no less, uh, and saved themselves. Uh, and in many ways, Israel, this is the triumph. There is, of course, a tragedy there, but the triumph is really the, really the triumph of vitality against all odds. It's the people that although came from death and are threatened by death have chosen life and are celebrating life. Uh, so yes, Israel is in many ways a phenomenon of life on the edge, but the life on the edge, on the edge did not discourage us, did not make us uh, sad or, or passive or bitter or sour. On the contrary, they, they enabled us to create one of the most free, robust, uh, free societies one can imagine. It's a place and a nation that is innovative and creative and sensual and sexy and, and quite amazing. So 
while there is the looming threat there, and I'm right a lot about the looming threat that are serious and traumatic and are real existential. At the very same time, uh, Israel is, is, is a great triumph of the human spirit and, and, and of this vitality that uh, burst out of a people that, whose, whose, whose past was so tragic. Is there in this narrative, though, and in this story of the founding, coupled with the existential threats that you talk about, something that is inherently part of the problem? One of the things you talk about is is this question of Israel's survival itself. Is that uncertainty part of the inability of all sides to come to grips with the future? The idea that Israel needs to be accepted as a nation all of these problems dealt with and accepted and enabling everybody to move forward. And as long as the potential, the question of Israel's existence remains, nobody is willing to accept this is the reality, let's move on. Absolutely. Again, once again, I thank you for the question. I think one of the claims, uh, uh, I think the more important claims I make in the book, although again, the book is not about arguments or theories, it's, it's more storytelling and, and 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 telling the life stories of people uh, through which I tell the grand of uh, the greater Israel story. But talking of, of, of the claims, one of the one of the claims I, I make that I think are is important is that many people criticize Israel and I share that criticism for it being an occupying power. And I'm an anti occupation guy and I think that Israel has to deal with this. But one has to put occupation in context. And what I say is that Israel has, the Israeli condition, so to speak, has two pillars. One is occupation. We are the only democratic nation that is occupying another people. But on the other hand, the other pillar is intimidation. We are the most endangered nation on the face of the earth. And generally what happens is that people on the left, both in this country and in Israel and Europe and throughout the world, focus on occupation and how intolerable it is. Uh, while they, they turn a blind eye to intimidation, people on the right everywhere uh, focus on intimidation and tend to overlook occupation. And what I want us is to look at the reality in all its complexity, see both occupation and intimidation, realize that Israel is facing existential threats no other nation faces. I think if we do that, we'll be able to deal with occupation in a more reasonable way and actually deal, solve perhaps that problem. But one has to remember that indeed Israel is a threatened nation and and the, the legitimate fears of Israelis are there, are are, are basically justified, and they should not be overlooked. They have to be addressed, uh, and whoever, whatever person or country or nation deals with the Middle East and with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, we all have to internalize how deep and serious this element of intimidation is. To what extent has that sense of endangerment, which you call life on the edge, to what extent has that become so much a part, become so inculcated in the Israeli consciousness that it has become part of the Israeli success and that if you take that away, 
it in some way removes some of the underpinning of the energy of Israel? Well, I, I, I fear that the danger of that being taken away is not very much there. I think there is an inherent element of life on the edge in the Israeli condition. I hope we will have peace. I hope uh, things will turn better. But the basic tension that uh, that is derived from the very basic existence of a Jewish democratic state in that brutal, uh, dangerous region uh, will be with us for, for, for a long time. But talking about the energy, I think that what's interesting is that Israel has been so successful in recent decades in protecting itself and in actually establishing a a pseudo-normal reality uh, that I think many Israelis do not are not consciously all the time aware of the fact that they live on the edge. I mean, they are protected by a strong military, by a successful economy, and so on. I think that uh, I bring this awareness, which I think Israelis have in their subconscious, and I think it, it motivates them and it energizes them, but they are not always uh, aware of it. Uh, so my book is not only uh, to write, rewrite the narrative for American readers, uh, it also uh, applies to Israelis who in many ways uh, live their day-to-day life without seeing the, the larger picture on, or the deep historical context within which their uh, nation is uh, living. Coming back to to the earlier period and, and the narrative that you talked about before, talk a little bit about the importance of the historical context, and even within the context of occupation, that it didn't necessarily have to play out the way it did. You talk a lot about that. Absolutely. I, as I said, I think there is, in, in, if you look at the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and, 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 and the conflict in the region, I mean, there are certain elements that are built in. There is an inner tension between uh, a region that is predominantly Arab, Muslim, and a, a Jewish uh, democratic state. There is a tension between the fact that we are very much a, a Western society and, and most of the societies surrounding us are not. There is a deep tension between the Palestinians who see us as, as uh, uh, who, who do not accept our legitimacy, many of them do not accept our legit, legitimacy in that land. But these are the basics. Within these basics, Israel, alas, made in my mind a great mistake um, with the settlement project and, and, and with this tem- surrendering, I would say, to the temptation of occupation. We did not do this because we are evil. We are not. Uh, but I think there was flawed thinking in Israel decades ago, and a process uh, got underway which is now very difficult to deal with, but we must deal with. I think that in order not only to achieve peace, even if peace in a naive, total way cannot be achieved for our own sake, for our own future, to defend our integrity, our uh, legitimacy, our uh, ability to be a democratic Jewish state, we must uh, try to limit and possibly end occupation because it it is really endangering us from within. So if this can be done by reaching an overall peace agreement like the one 
achieved, uh, like the attempt being promoted now by the Secretary of State, I'll be the first one to endorse it. But I have some doubts whether this will be successful. If it will not be successful, I think we should go for what I define as Plan B, which is gradual, cautious steps uh, intended of gradually ending occupation while the Palestinians build their own nation-state. So I, I describe it as a kind of uh, coordinated unilateralism where we go, we Israelis go for a nation-saving project of ending occupation, and while the Palestinians promote a nation-building process of building the institutions and the political culture and the economic framework of a, a life-loving Palestine. I think that should we not have an overall peace agreement soon, we must adopt this other alternative approach uh, that will deal with this uh, threat of occupation, which is endangering Israel's values, Israel's uh, democratic and Jewish character, and, and hence we must deal with this. You write that one of the problems has been, one of the things that has led to such political cynicism today is this search for the proverbial grand bargain, that peace has been promised so many times over and over again in so many different contexts that maybe it's best to stop thinking about it in that way and more along the lines of, of the plan B that you're talking about. Um, yes, yes, I do. I mean, listen, I, 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 I was uh, privileged enough to, to hear the Secretary of State giving his speech in Washington a few days ago it was an inspiring, compelling, powerful speech, and 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 I want to share his hope. I mean, should he succeed where his predecessors fail, I'll be the first one to endorse his success and hail him, and 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 I'd, I'll be I'll be <laughs> extremely happy if this works. But I dread the the, the scenario uh, that we've seen in the past, where the failure of a grand attempt to achieve the grand peace lead either to violence or at least to the political uh, backlash. Uh, I think that for too long we've been in this cycle of all or nothing. Either we'll have peace by next spring or we'll have another 50,000 settlers by next Christmas. Uh, so I think it's time to get out of that cycle. Should the secretary succeed, bravo, well done. But should he not, I think it's time to prepare already now, before failure, this plan B, so a kind of fallback option uh, that will be able uh, to give us progress and movement in the right direction, even if peace, in kind of final total peace, cannot be achieved uh, these these days. And this all-or-nothing attitude has been part of of the moral equation as well, because much of what we hear oftentimes is that the Zionist experiment fails because of the occupation. And the reality, as you talk about it, is that we have to accept both what has been the occupation and move forward from there and accept the reality of Zionism. Uh, yes, I agree. I mean, first of all, I do not accept the premises that Zionism failed. I think that, again, when you take this step back and you look where the Jewish people was 100, 120 years ago and where the Jewish people is today, by the way, not only in Israel, I think that we've seen a remarkable success of the Jews to assert themselves, to defend themselves, and to, 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 to 
really move forward after from from a tragic past, both in Israel by creating Jewish sovereignty, and and in this country by creating a perfect diaspora. I think there is, these are two huge Jewish uh, uh, success stories that are really remarkable. Both are are challenged in some ways, and therefore both have to rethink their strategy and and how do they want to move forward. But going back to Israel. I think that Zionism in many ways is, is a uncomprehensible success. But yes, this success has a flaw in it. The one basic flaw is this conflict that is ongoing and so deep. And the, the next one is this really mistake we made some 40, 45 years ago by being tempted uh, after we won the 67 war. So this is... I would say that Zionism is a great success story with with an inherent challenge within it that we have to deal with. So I believe that if we'll see that in a realistic way and we'll adopt a combination of moral realism or realistic morality, I think we can solve this one and then actually let's all see how basically wondrous uh, Israel is. And finally, one of the things that you write about that has been so remarkable is the number of mistakes that have been made over and over again by all sides in this story. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, and I've, I've, you know, as, as, as an Israeli, it is actually, it's my, my duty, first of all, to do my own uh, soul-searching, and, and I, I analyze in depth the mistakes uh, we Israelis made. But one should not forget the mistakes done by others. I think that the failure of the Palestinians uh, to recognize our legitimate claims for that land, the, the, the failure of the Palestinians and, and, and some other uh, Arabs to accept the legitimacy of a Jewish democratic state in that region, the difficulty that the Middle East has in accepting minorities, not only Jews. The Middle East is quite brutal with the Christians, with the Kurds, with the gays, with women. It's, it's, it's a rough neighborhood. So while I deal uh, some, at some length with Israeli flaws, uh, I wish there will be a Palestinian or an Arab uh, intellectual who will deal with such carriage with the flaws of Palestinian political culture and of Arab political culture as we see these days all throughout the region, definitely in Syria, to an extent in Egypt and elsewhere, there are deep, deep problems in this region that are not occupation-related and are not caused by Israel. So while we have to address Israel's flaws, we definitely have need to have the courage, the intellectual courage, to deal with the flaws of the region within which Israel exists and lives dangerously. Ari Shavit, his book is My Promised Land, The Triumph and Tragedy of Israel. Ari, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.